Greetings and welcome. My name's Alex and this is episode three of To Have and Download, the wedding photography and videography podcast where each episode I'm joined by a fellow professional from the industry for a laid-back chat about all things wedding photography and film. And if you're interested, every episode is available as a video podcast where you can see some of the photographs and films we are talking about and is easily accessible on your computer, smart device and mobile phone over at Spotify and YouTube. But let's not waste any more time and get straight into the next episode. Joining me today on today's episode is the amazing Chelsea Canar. Chelsea is a professional documentary wedding photographer based in Liverpool. She is a rangefinder rising star for 2022, winner of numerous awards. This is Repertage top 10 photographers in the UK and top 10 photographers in the world for 2022. Speaker, educator and consumer of chocolate buttons. A very, very warm welcome, Chelsea, on this very, very cold morning. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you. I love it. I feel like my um, my introductions are getting longer and longer. Like in Game of Thrones when Khaleesi's like at the end and she's like, mother of dragons, break her a chain. And it's <laughs> but yeah, huge congratulations on what really was a stonking 2022 for you. I mean, you like rangefinder must have been just like the cherry on the cake. Absolutely. It was wild. I was just like, oh my God, when am I going to be rumbled? And <laughs> how the heck am I doing it? Like people are going to ask me and I'm not going to know what to tell them. Um, yeah, it was great. No, I, I think say all, all the awards were, were, were rightly deserved. I mean, was there a particular highlight for you for 2022? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I would say the rangefinder thing's definitely like up there as the the big one. Um, but I don't the, the making it into that TIR top top ten. I'm just grateful. I think there's a lot of photographers who forgot to enter that year or were taking hiatus. So I was quite happy to be in that list because obviously that's the thing that I love. And you also did a talk for nine dots at the end yeah. of the year at the uh, the nine dots gathering was that was that your first sort of um, public presentation you've done for the wedding how did that go yeah. i say that was actually probably a highlight but obviously i've clearly like mentally blocked it out <laughs> 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 the that was a highlight the stress of like writing a talk and stuff was um when i said yes and then with it being such a busy year anyway for weddings actually sitting down to write it was quite um stressful but when I got up and did it I was so proud it was so nice to be asked and to like share my story and have people come talk to me after about it and feel like open to talk to me about their stories like yeah that was definitely a highlight what a scary group of people to sort of have to stand up and talk about wedding photography to a room full of hundreds of amazing photographers. It takes a lot of guts to do that. It was, there's so many good photographers there, but one of the things that didn't make it as scary was all of the people who sort of knew me were sat down the front and they were, um, yeah, they were cheering me on. I could, see oh. my, I could see my friends' faces and I was just like, oh, this is really, really reassuring and nice. And yeah, they are a, a very supportive community. Um, wedding photographers I find anyway yeah yeah no 100% I think um, yeah sort of the 
um, Nine Darts and TIR and stuff like that, the, the, the people that I sort of chat to on social media in those groups and obviously sort of at the, um, the Chris, TIR Christmas party and stuff, it's just great. It's just yeah. great, you know. I wanted um, to do well. That's the thing. No one, there wasn't a single person sat in the room thinking, oh, I hope she fluffs this up. Like, yeah, yeah. Everyone's and, just like on the edge of the seats for you because they want you to succeed, which is lovely. Yeah. And there's a lot of wedding photographers out there that are very sort of guarded and, mm. you know, kind of see you as competition. Um, but yeah, you know, to, to, to have these sort of groups, it's, it's so good. Um, and speaking of uh, amazing things, obviously, by the, when this episode goes out, it should be the Friday before Dock Day yes. in Dublin, um, which I'm really, really looking forward to. Have you sort of, are you all booked? Have you got your flights? Have you got your hotel? Yeah, I can't uh, wait. So I've got, um, yeah, it's booked in and then... For some reason, we've just decided to go to Paris for, a, for like a four-day holiday before. <laughs> we're, flying. we're going to Paris and then we're coming back. Uh, we'll have like one night back at home and then flying over to Dublin for Doc Day. Um, my other house is going to come with me, but he's seen friends and then I'll like go with photographers and do yeah. photographer things. Um, but yeah, I'm so looking forward to it. It was really, really good last year. Um, and I think sometimes like having it as a one day event as well is good to be able to actually like absorb all the learning. Um, yeah. And it's nice uh, that there's, there's a lot of social things happening sort of before yeah. the Tuesday as well. Um, yeah. cause I'm not sure like I'm, I'm planning my flight gets me in. I haven't booked it yet, which is a bit silly. So hopefully I've booked it by the time this episode goes out. Um, but yeah, looking at my flight options, I'm going to be getting into Dublin for about seven o'clock in the morning on Sunday. Okay. Um, so all day. Yeah. So the, um, there's some street photography walks going on, and then I I didn't do some of the pre stuff last year, but I think everyone goes to drink in Temple Bar on like one of the nights, and then yeah, yeah there's like registration drinks. So although it is only one day, you can like extend the socials. Dialing the clock back a bit, mm-hmm. let's sort of go all the way back. So I was looking on your website and um, it said you had a, a military upbringing. Yeah. So my dad was in the army. Amazing. Um, so we used to move around every, I realized you didn't really have a question here, but I'm just going off on a tangent. Now. No, go for it. That's kind of, that's, that's the lead. Okay, fine. Yeah. So my, yeah, my dad was in the army um, and we used to live out in like, Germany quite a lot because a lot of army bases out there. Um, we lived in Cyprus for a little bit and a few places in England. But essentially, we used to move every two years, um, which was really, really fun. <laughs> when you're little, you don't really know anything else. Um, you'd have like a new house and um, new friends. But because I'm one of four girls, I always had like sisters everywhere we moved as well. So you had like these ready-made friends to go around to the play park with. Um yeah, it's good. Amazing. So you obviously you got to see a bit of the world and experience sort of you know living in. I mean, Cyprus must have been an amazing place to live. Yeah, it was. Um, we it's quite small, really, Cyprus. So you can get about quite easily. I think you can get across the island um, in just a few hours. But it's split up into to two. So you have like the the northern side is 
Turkish. So we were, there's two army bases, I think, in southern Cyprus. Um, and we spent a year on one and then we moved to the other. So I think we were there for about three years in total. Um, uh, you'd get up really early and you'd go to school and then you'd have the day finished by about like 12. And then we'd spend all afternoon at the at the beach. How nice. Which is really nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice childhood to sort of uh, yeah. deal with. So do you think that kind of, because um, you clearly like to sort of travel a lot and go to some amazing places. Do you think that kind of influenced that sort of travel bug, as it were? Uh, I don't. Um, so when I was, when my dad came out of the army um, and I was just desperate to stay in one place because we'd, we'd moved around all the time and um, I was like, I just want to make friends and have friends that like, uh, I don't know how to describe it. Like when I got to secondary school, everyone had been friends with everyone since um, since they were in, in like kindergarten, and yeah. I was just like, "What? What's what's happening here? That makes no sense to me. Like, I can't relate." Mm-hmm. And I felt a bit out of place in secondary school. And then when I finished that, I was like, "Oh, I just want to stay in one place and like set like some roots." Yeah. Um, but I would definitely say it's given me. Uh, I don't describe it. Like, I'm not afraid to just start again or or try something new or um move to a new place and I get I do get bored if I start doing the same thing for a long time and I I don't know if it's because we moved every two years but after two years of doing something I start to get like itchy right okay what else is out there that I can do all of that (laughs) so I suppose doing sort of destination weddings is Mm -hmm. kind of like the perfect sort of mix of business and pleasure so i've only done i've only done the two um so i feel very lucky to have done them but i love doing stuff like that what i think is going to be a headache going forward is the paperwork side like i'm not very good with all the forms that you might have to end up filling out just to go shoot a wedding somewhere of course yeah yeah hold me back but definitely when when i first started doing the weddings i was like i never my idea of hell is like going to the same venue every weekend. It's not stimulating and it's not fun. And I do want to go to new places and meet new people. And I do think part of that comes from that, like jumping around as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And recently as of yesterday, um, winning a, a TIR story oh, yeah. award for, uh, for your destination. Was it Greece? It was Greece. Yeah. And, so, uh, I won one for the the Italian the Italian job, <laughs> and then uh, I won one for the Greece one, and they were um, just a week apart from each other. My two oh, my wow. first destination weddings, and they they came like buses, and yeah, I managed to win. Um, so I don't know if that's the trick. You know, I don't know if that's the trick to winning. Just get someone to fly you to another country, and then you'll get a story. <laughs> um, so it was photography sort of always the route you kind of wanted to go down was it something that kind of developed from childhood or you know some people get a a camera at christmas when they're a kid you know was it was it always a career path you wanted i never really had like a career path i just had a i had an interest in the arts Mm -hmm. i loved drawing i loved uh i like making things like i like um what's a visual 
stimulation and stuff. So I, when I left school, my mum showed me the, art college, sorry, digging into my mind and like what happened. So my mum found the art college for me because it was always going to be something in the creative arts. Um, and when I did my like national certificate in art and design, they were like, oh, we think graphic design for you would be good. So I sort of pursued that. I then got a, my mum and dad were a little bit into photography um, and I started borrowing their camera to, to make like art for my course. And then they ended up buying me a camera for my 18th birthday. Um, and then while I was a student, I did nightclub photography. Oh, cool. The local nightclub to like, cause you, cause I would be able to drink for free in there. And, um, and what else? It's just good socializing. It's just like something I like to do. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I went from, from that, it was like, I either do the graphic design uni course or the photography course. And I went and applied for both. And I think I just thought to myself, like photography is so, so like, um, it's like defined and what if I want to do drawing still, or what if I want to do like that or this? And I felt like with graphic design, I could be more like a jack of all trades and Mm -hmm. incorporate all the different elements that I liked into into one thing. Um, I don't really think I had a plan. I just didn't want to feel too niched off at okay. the time. Um, so yeah, it was always something I enjoyed, but it was never. It was never the thing that I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be like a famous photographer and make loads of money or anything like that." <laughs> But it's interesting, like chatting to people, the the correlation between photography and another creative element. Like um, there's a lot of photographers I know that are amazing musicians as well and perhaps sort of went down the music route first or like yourself is in sort of graphic design or painting or art or, um, and um, I think Andrew Billington as well is, is, his sort of background steeped in sort of the theater as well. So it's kind of, it's really, really interesting. The fact that kind of, yeah, speaking to photographers, they all pretty much have some sort of artistic background in, in some way. Um, Have you found your design background and obviously going and studying design and um, getting a degree in it? has that influenced your photography in any way sort of how you, I guess your style, your approach, or is it just kind of, you know, completely two separate mindsets? I think it does like quite a lot influence it. I think it comes through more in, uh, in like compositions and stuff. I think it's, I'm going to turn my email off. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. It could be a wedding inquiry. It's not. <laughs> uh, SEO. All right. um, what was I saying? The Oh, yeah, the compositions. I think it, like, influences the compositions. I think it makes me think about where, like, negative space in a picture and the way mm-hmm. things come together on, on a page um, and balance each other out. Uh, where things, where frames end and um, like when you're putting the stories together as well. So when you're doing like a brochure, you don't have 
every page isn't the same design um, because viewers' eyes get bored. So you, you throw in more interesting compositions, but then you need like the information-based pages to like balance it out. So it's all yeah. a balancing act and it's about how users flow through things. And I think a lot of those creative problem-solving elements, they they are useful within the within photography. Yeah. Um, so I would say, yeah, it's it's they're two different things, but they have a lot of similar like just a lot of similar similar properties and um, yeah, yeah. thinking about about the world. I bet that sort of comes in handy when you are. So I, do you still design your own wedding albums, or do you kind of go down the pick time route and let them do it themselves? <laughs> I do put them together, but I'm really lazy with albums. Like I think, because, I think because of like my old backgrounds, I've just like it's just the last thing I want to do is like sit oh, right, okay. and do layouts. Um, but like graphic design is a lot of back and forth. Like it's quite a collaborative process. So people are like, oh, I don't like that, and we'll move that around. And you spend ages putting something together. And I think when you do wedding photography, it's just it's very. Um, controlled and you're like this is how i think it should look and enjoy that whereas like with albums you're opening it up to like that back and forth and i just i think quite like that's in the rear view mirror i don't want to do it yeah yeah it's very much here's your gallery ta-da enjoy <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah my um wife's a graphic designer and yeah just uh, i can see the frustration especially with clients when it's mm-hmm. like constantly going round and round sort of like revisions and yeah definitely you know, I like to describe it to um to Louis when I met him I was like it's uh essentially it's banging your head against a brick wall until the headache stops yeah yeah <laughs> on at first because you're like oh, I've got this new project in I'm going to think of all these ideas and then um especially if you're working to design by committee it's like everybody starts throwing their ideas into the mix until what you end up with is a is a puddle of stuff that looks nothing like. (laughs) So what made you sort of flip from the sort of the design career Mm -hmm. to doing wedding photography? So I met a wedding photographer um, through the design agency. She was, um, she had come in, she was like, we were doing, website or something or or logos and I got on really well with her and um she was looking for a second shooter she was looking for some help but she didn't just want someone who was going to come to one or two I think she wanted like company um for like more of them so she could sort of almost train someone to second shoot for what she needed okay Um, and in the office my boss was like oh Chelsea's really good with a camera and I was like, well, I'll come to a few of you, Helen, um, just to see, you know, until you find someone else, because I thought it was going to be shit. (laughs) 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 I was like, "Mm, weddings, like that's all going to be really fluffy and girly and not me. And, um, yeah. And she turned it into like, I, I really liked hanging out with her and um i liked learning like a a new skill but she made it super interesting she um she taught me about documentary photography and she used to challenge me with like just use that lens and um 
go out and see what you can get and stuff. So essentially I, I got really lucky. I met someone I liked and I, I had like a weekend job that was just fun for me. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So there was like some proper mentoring as well sort of going yeah. on with her. I used to go around to her um, house and she would go through, like for her, she would go through the images that I'd shot and say like, these are really good, but uh, what would make it better is if you, if you try to do this or think about where you're like, you're ending your frames or um, try and get more information in the background in like less sky or less thing. And um, yeah, so sort of like in an inadvertent like mentoring. Wow. That's priceless kind of yeah, really good. opportunities of, and I uh, saved all the money. Uh, I took the money and I invested in like some cameras of my own. Um, and then also my life fell apart in the process, which is sort of what I did say in um, my talk. So as I, as I started that with her, um, like I had a big breakup in my, um, my, my, the company that I was working at was made, was um, made, I was made redundant, but not because because they sh they shut one of the um, one of the directors didn't want to do it anymore. So the opportunity for me to just like do something else appeared. I was doing a bit of like freelance design on the side, and that was that was that. And then I'd started the weddings to top that up instead of going back into full time work. And then I ended up moving back into my mum and dad's house because of the breakup. And then it was suddenly it was like COVID and oh God. Okay. like the timeline's really erratic and messy, but all these things kind of happened over, over the course of a year, but it felt like it happened all at once. So if uh, 2023 Chelsea went and saw 29 Chelsea and just said, it's going to be good. Trust me. Honestly, it's going to be good. That girl was a mess and she would not, believe you <laughs> like there was after my um breakup uh the first wedding I had like two back-to-back -back weddings with Helen the woman and I just cried all the way home from both of them and she, she would not have believed you if you told her anything good would come of it uh, well I think I think what what has come of it I think is uh yeah richly deserved so you know yeah. well done for sort of going through that and uh coming out the other side and and um, being where you are now. Um, so was there a particular moment um, when you were doing these weddings or an image that you took like from your first wedding or, or when you were second shooting when you were like, actually, yeah, I, I can do this? So none of them, um, particularly from well, the second shooting, I could see improvement. I could see that there was that I was improving like quite fast, quite, quite rapidly. Um, and then I remember shooting a wedding at the Bellsfield and I was so, I was so fresh after my breakup and I just thought, Oh, just suck it up. I think it was my first like solo one. Um, maybe I can't remember now. And, uh, I didn't want to tell the bride about it, even though it's like built up a relationship. I was like, it's not about, like, it's not about me at all. And um, so if I need to go cry, I'll just go cry in the toilet on my own. Um, and I'd shot there before and I had this image in my head 
that I knew I wanted. Um, and it was of her coming down the stairs and being stared, like being like framed by the staircase. And it just so happened that as I was like going to do that, her her brother was at the bottom of the staircase. He was going to walk her in because her dad had died like the previous year. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole image just frames her coming down the staircase in a really interesting way. And it's meaningful to her because that's her like a brother waiting at the bottom. Um, and I just felt like it was one of those images where everything had come together. Like I thought about it in advance and mm-hmm. the, that it had paid off um, that it was like important to me, but also that image was important to her and it won like my first ever TIR award. So I think that image for me was like, yes, I can, I can do this. Like I can forward think and I can crack the the code. Like I'm not, I'm not just shooting and hoping for the best. Like I actually have a a handle on what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And if, um, if anyone's listening um, to the podcast and you're listening on Spotify, you can actually open up, the video version of this podcast where I'll be sharing these images that Chelsea's talking about. So you can go and actually look at them whilst you're listening to Chelsea talk about them. So don't forget, you can do that on Spotify and YouTube. Um, You've sent over some of the images um, before the podcast sort of talk about, and I know the one you're talking about, it's, it's, it's a beautiful image. And I think there's a real knack um, that as documentary photographers, we kind of, we can, we can see an image, um, hopefully we can see an image before it happens and we kind of, we anticipate and we, we frame up that shot. It doesn't always pay off, mm-hmm. um, but it, I think it's, it's definitely a, um, uh, a, a good thing to sort of uh, practice and work on. Um, and, you know, looking at your images, you've obviously got a, a real knack for sort of seeing seeing moments before they happen and being in tune and like we were saying with alan in the other episode it's kind of like it's like a spidey scent sometimes where you 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 anticipate a moment before it happens because you've kind of you've put yourself in these situations so many times now and you just it just it's it becomes a natural sort of i guess feeling yeah it's that and then it's like the again, it's the creative problem solving. You're like connecting far flung dots and you have like one eye on one thing and your mind's in the future thinking about the next thing. And it's like, how do I tie these things together? Like I, I know there's a frame here and I know that they're doing that over there. So that means that she's going to do that next. And then like you say, it's sometimes it's the sneeze that never happens and you're there waiting like a, like a um, but like other times it comes, it comes together and it's that, that satisfaction of knowing Mm -hmm. and waiting. I love that term though, the, the sneeze that never happened. I think, uh, I think there's a lot of photographers could think of many examples of uh, the sneeze that never happened. Um, But I think as well, you've got to be almost a bit of a detective as well at weddings. And, you know, you might hear um, a conversation between wedding guests saying, oh, so-and-so's coming who the bride hasn't seen for, for ages and she doesn't know she's coming. So you're then going, right, I need to know who that person is when they're getting here so I can be there for that image. So it's, yeah, it's, it, it's, uh, it can be quite fun. 
yeah. finding all these things. Definitely. Yeah. Seeing a little thread and thinking there's so many of them and you've got to decide which is the one that I'm going to pull on. Mm. And you, and you, you, you can either get distracted and go find another one if you like give up or you can keep tugging at the same one until it, until it delivers, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's just hard to choose which, which thread to tug on. Is, is documentary photography, is, is that, you know, the, the right way for describing your approach or do you kind of see it as a bit more sort of fluid? Um, it's probably, yeah, like my, my style is documentary. There, there, are, there are elements of the day that aren't, like obviously like I take them for a couple's photo shoot and I enjoy that more than I used to because it used to scare the shit yeah, the living daylights out of me. I was like, oh, <laughs> like, I mean, I've got to be in control. Like, I think I prefer it when I'm not in control of the wedding. So, you know, when you, when you take control and suddenly you're in charge of where people stand and what they do, then you're accountable for like completely how those images look. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, I think almost with documentary, you have time to, you, you have time to think, like space to think mentally. I find with portraits, my mind just can't think straight because I also have to then talk to them about what I want to do. Whereas like with documentary, you don't have to describe to people what you want. You have space yeah. to like think about it. Um, but it's, it's documentary. Um, I guess I'm not like completely purist about mm-hmm. it I'm not I'm not quiet sometimes like I thought I would be when I first started I was like oh I'm gonna be fly on the wall because I thought that's how you had to be to get those images but I'm a little bit more involved than I thought I thought I would be and then when I gave myself permission to just be involved and to get in the thick of it I found that I ended up getting better documentary photos anyway because people stopped paying attention to me you know i couldn't agree more just yeah the the more i think i said this to alan the more you i guess are visibly present the more people start to ignore you yeah people and you just so close to them it's crazy but if i if i saw like this intense moment happening and they weren't comfortable with me and like no way would they let me get that close to them you know that's it yeah you, you you you're trying to shoot unobtrusively but you need to kind of get in there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, I, I, I noticed that over the, like, to begin with, kind of, I was trying to be really purist mm-hmm. documentary um, and really sort of not sneaky, but like subtle with taking a photo. Mm-hmm. And I was always putting myself on the edge of the wedding. And the moment, like you were saying, you kind of just, you get involved and you kind of, you become a part of the wedding. It comes out of you naturally. Like only when I gave myself permission to just be myself, like that's how I am at a wedding. It's not necessarily the right way. Like I went and shot um, one with Holly uh, Matier last year. And me and Holly have a very similar eye, um, when it comes to like shots and stuff, but our approach is 
is also quite different because Holly is just like so little and you lose her easily and you're like looking around <laughs> and you're like, shit, where's she gone? Um, and then I'm in a corner, like I've met a new friend and I'm putting sun cream on a guest and then she's putting it on me and she's gone to get the bride's hat and then I'm having a conversation with someone who's like in film and they want to know how I got into photography and um, it's like two different approaches to doing the same thing. So I've like gone around and made loads of friends and then backtrack and sort of like do my own thing for a little bit um and yeah holly was like much quieter as a presence but still gets the same shots Mm -hmm. i don't i don't know how she does it but she's just true to her herself and how she is instead of like trying to be really involved which would come across as like false you know and you've also you've got to you've got to work within the limits of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. I think in order to, to get the, the images that you want to get and that you, you know, in the style that you shoot of, you've also got to be comfortable. Yeah. Um, and yeah, for some people it is kind of like getting in there and sort of being best friends and, yeah. you know, sort of becoming a, ultimately a guest at the wedding as opposed to a photographer. But then for other people, it's kind of just being a bit more quiet and a bit more sort of um, hidden. Yeah, I definitely, I've tried to do like um, the dance floor a few different ways. Like I tried to do it more on the outside with like bounce flash or like softer. I was just like, oh my God, I'm so bored taking these pictures <laughs> because I'm not dancing. And I think like the way I shoot, I just enjoy the way I shoot. And then that's how I get the pictures that I get. It's more to do with that than like the technique. Yeah, absolutely. And say that, you know, there's, there's a lot of photographers that are like, especially with the dance floor shots are get some amazing shots because they are just, they are in there, they're dancing, they're, you know, got a wide angle lens because they're getting super close and you feel the energy from that dance floor. Whereas, yeah, if you're kind of, shooting from the edge and stuff it just kind of it just loses all of that kind of personality and just becomes event photography as it were um so with with that sort of approach and stuff like there's quite a strong correlation with documentary photographers and a more introverted nature and personality would you say you're you're sort of um do you do you fall into that character like for me personally i'm quite an introvert like mm-hmm. when it comes to social situations i it you know takes me a while to warm up yeah. do you sort of are you i mean you were saying you do you have that problem are you quite just outgoing and um yeah so i used to think that i was an introvert until everyone started telling me I was an extrovert and (laughs) I'm not shy. Like I'm very happy to go into, um, I think that's one of the things that Helen said when she started taking me to second shoot with her, she's like, I can just leave you in a room full of strangers and I'll come back and you'll have spoken to half of them and you'll be fine. It's like, I don't worry about that at all. Um, I think there's like, if there's introverted aspects to me, I think like all creatives have like a, they, they live like a, a rich inner world in their heads. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe like my view of myself and how others see me aren't necessarily always the same, but I'm definitely reasonably extrovert, especially at a wedding. 
I think because it's like high energy, um, you just get the best of me. And then the day after I like crumple into a little introvert heap and I'm like, just let me watch movies and please don't talk to me, <laughs> anyone. Yeah, yeah. Use all that energy for the for the wedding. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, I definitely think the, the, the post-wedding drive home mm-hmm. is like, you're shattered because you're having to be you're running at 100 miles an hour and sort of trying to give all that energy and then yeah the the day after i call it the wedding hangover yeah yeah, you just just want to kind of sleep and yeah yeah Um, (laughs) so earlier you sort of touched um right at the beginning you sort of you use um use the phrase um you know, you were uh, worried you're going to get found out. Yeah. And is, is that that little bit of imposter syndrome that I think Definitely. everyone has that kind of like constantly sits on your shoulder? And yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I think like that just never goes away. In fact, I found the more people tell me it's good, the worse it gets. <laughs> and then because like, I just see all these fantastic pictures that other photographers take all the time. Like your point of comparison moves further and further away. And you're like, yeah, like, like, you know, they're all right, but like they're shit hot. So like, don't, how can you compare? Um, But I think we all spend so much time looking at our own pictures and you see a lot of the flaws. You see a lot of the shit that doesn't make the cut. You see Mm. all the mistakes like constantly. It's quite, um, culling and editing is quite a, I don't know, quite a, a negative process, really. Um, so you kind of train yourself to believe that you're a little bit more crap than people think you are because they are a project. They're sitting at the front of the Christmas tree and you're behind the back, like, untangling all the wires. I know. And in the, the Instagram age that we're in, mm-hmm. where people are only showing the highlights of their their life and stuff, it is very hard to kind of, you know, gauge your you know ability not that you should be basing your ability or your profession or your work on how it compares with other photographers but it is very very hard in in the world of instagram to sort of you know not like you say look at all of these amazing images that people are sharing yeah but you kind of need to realize that there's also a lot of images that aren't going to see the light of day yes like like your own yeah so you could, it could it's two ways to look at it you can everyone's images are like worse than yours so you should never try what's the point or you're like oh well they're really good and i like that and how did they do that i'm gonna go ask them or i'm gonna figure it out and i guess like if my goalpost didn't keep mentally moving forward then neither would i because i'd be like mm-hmm. well you know why do i need to compare because i'm I'm shit hot and I'm the world's best. And then that would just be me taking those same photos forever. Cause I would think I never, I never had anything else to strive towards, you know? And like I say, it's the, it's finding the inspiration yeah. in the other people's work mm-hmm. to kind of be like, you know, I've, you know, I've never thought about trying it from that angle or, that's such a you know I would never dare shoot that wide um so yeah I think 
like I've I've had a love hate relationship with Instagram for the last couple of years. Like it's it's had some really really positive impacts on like my mental health and sort of meeting people and stuff like that. But it's also been really negative at times. Um, but yeah, I think if you can kind of step back and sort of use it in the positive way of taking inspiration, like you would if from photography books and things like that. Um, and also just, you know, speaking from sort of my experience and, and talking to other photographers as well, sort of anyone listening to the podcast, you know, all these amazing award-winning photographers in this sort of community are incredibly approachable. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to know how they got a particular image or something like that, just drop them a message or leave a comment or something. Cause I guarantee that they will take the time to reply to you and chat and, yeah. and share. And, and I know you've done that in the past with people and things like that. Yeah. No one's as scary as they look. Everyone's just, everyone's got mortgage and everyone's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, going through the same problems and has the same stuff on. So yeah, nobody's completely unapproachable. And like you say, there's a real thing of like in documentary specifically, I found that everyone just wants everyone else to do well, mm-hmm. you know, so people like to share their knowledge. It makes them feel good because they're like, oh, yeah, I do know something. So you probably yeah. have to be day as well. So speaking of other photographers, um, you know, what are the photographers that inspire work? Not necessarily in the sort of the wedding genres. Are there any other genres of photography that you like to sort of um, you know, sort of look at and research and take inspiration from. We had like a, went to the Don McCullen exhibition at the Tate a while. Oh, wow. It was very not wedding at all, very um, gritty and grim. Uh, but there's like a rawness. Like a lot of the images that I like, because I, I love taking happy images and being in like happy environments, but I really like miserable images. <laughs> <laughs> emo in me is like oh <laughs> <laughs> I've got a really cool book um, I can't remember who did it now it's like a all a beef a like club um, photos that are really cool and they're sort of like street photography uh, style um, but I don't really have yeah set heroes so to speak like photography heroes or anything because I wasn't really that into it until until long ago yeah Mm -hmm. and then I suddenly was in weddings so there's been other weddings really that's cool and again sort of it's interesting you sort of mentioning sort of Don McCullin and street photography and things like that I mean there is again a, a huge sort of correlation with documentary wedding photographers taking inspiration from sort of the original sort of documentary photography uh street photography and there's a real it's it's amazing how much how how the the line is blurred between them in terms of styles and approaches and um yeah i i, I was into street photography before wedding photography yeah. and i know people that got into wedding photography and then got into street photography have you have you have you dabbled in street photography? Have you? Um, yeah, I think so, but like more like a holiday <laughs> photography. <laughs> you could just set me off on like if someone wants to go for a beach holiday and I just wander around with my camera and I'm quite happy like looking for things to take pictures of. 
Um, mm-hmm. I go on one of Kevin Mullen's street photography courses and I found that really interesting. But I think for me, part of like the street photography is like that exploration and discovery aspect. Yeah. It's nice to go and do on your own and like play with, like play with the world, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Play. One of the things I love about street photography is there's no kind of definitive, this is street photography. Mm-hmm. You know, it, there's a lot of different elements that could be street photography. So like you say, if you want just go and wander like um, around Dublin on Dock Day and just photograph yeah. Dublin, that, you know, that's great. And it, it's, um, it's a great way of practicing as well for the wedding work yeah. without having to rely on there being a wedding. Yeah, definitely. It like senses your... Um, those little things that we were saying before that, that you're like the premonitions that you're good mm-hmm. something, it's like practicing those. Although I think it's so much harder than wedding photography because you have full permission to be at a wedding. You're yeah. very close to people. Like I struggle with the street photography a bit more because to make it like natural, I don't know, people, people are more aware of you out in the real world. <laughs> Yeah, than they are at a wedding. You've got at least you've got the the benefit of time doing street photography. You know, if you're because um, it's um, like um, it, it's it's like the opposite approach to photography doing sort of street photography, and the fact you're kind of you work backwards, so you find your background first, mm-hmm. and then you find your composition, and then you you wait for your subject, whereas normally it's the other way around. Um, but at weddings, you kind of, you don't have the luxury of, kind of, I'm going to stand here for an hour, okay. and, and wait for the shot. Because yeah. <laughs> you'll get, I'm going to stand here for a minute, and then I've got to go somewhere else, and if I don't get it, I don't get it. It's part um, of that I think prefers that, because you're bouncing around quite quickly. I think I like that that like fast paced. So you're more you're more reactive as opposed to sort of um, setting the scene. I do to an extent, but I think my limit of how long I'd be willing to wait would be like ten minutes, and then I'd be like, oh, I'm really bored of this now, and I'm going to go find something else to do. <laughs> so out of out of all of the hundreds of images that you've taken, mm-hmm. do you, do you have a particular favorite all-time wedding image I, I don't I feel like it's the rain one I feel like I just love that image maybe as much as some of us but that's always the one that I feel quite proud of mm-hmm. and that's is that that's the one with the rain on the glass yeah so it's the rain um it's like a clear a clear-sided marquee and all the guests are sort of coming um, across the field towards the marquee. Uh, and I, I don't know why, I just love that image. I love the way it feels. I love mm-hmm. the way it's like framed with the, the white path coming like across the across it. Um, I love the colours. It feels really rich, yeah. that image. But it's not necessarily what i would consider like a wedding photo that could be anyone's yeah. wedding mm-hmm. that's kind of where i like it there's a few images I'm t- i've taken where i'm like oh that's you could put that up on your wall 
as a print and you wouldn't it wouldn't look like why have you got someone else's wedding picture up on your wall i don't know yeah 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 um so what's your what's your favorite part of a wedding day um i really like my dinner <laughs> generally <laughs> <laughs> I love it. when i see that waitress coming through and she's got my plate i'm just like oh thank god um but, when they say the, the magical words, oh, the uh, the bride and groom have got you the same meal as everyone else is having. Yeah, uh, like, three-cost meal. Just like, oh, be still my heart. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's a really good part of the wedding day. I, I love the dancing just because I love dancing. But my favorite part is um, it's often prep. I feel like... I'm running on adrenaline, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So I get there and I'm, um, you like warming into it. You're getting to understand like the, the dynamics of the, of the, of the group. Um, but then everyone's, there's a, there's a portion where everyone's just still. So you really do have time to experiment Mm-hmm. you you know you you're forced like you're almost challenged to the bride is sat down getting her makeup done you're forced to move around her and look for different compositions and ways of framing things mm-hmm. um so i guess i i can enjoy that time because there's time and then everything between then and when that lovely person with my dinner appears just that's a that's a mess that just disappears <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. organized chaos a little bit yeah mm-hmm. yeah and something that i love about um your work is you're not afraid to shoot super wide which is really difficult to do and get an interesting image mm-hmm. because you've you've got such a bigger frame you need to fill with stuff yeah. um so you, which you do really really well and you're also not afraid to shoot really low down. And I love some of the sort of the different angles and sort of views you sort of get with your sort of imagery. Is that is that a conscious thing that you've kind of mm, I think, developed over the years or? I think um, sometimes when I was shooting on my, sometimes shooting on my, I just feel so claustrophobic sometimes and I really wanted to step back Um I, it depends on like, sometimes I use the wide angle to be in really close and to like exaggerate everything because it sucks you in, like you're forced, Mm -hmm. you're forced into it. You don't feel like you're watching it. You feel like you're, you're there. Um, when you shoot with like the 20, well, my 25, but like the 24, uh, one of my favorite images I took on the 25 or two of the favorite images I took on that last year were one was very close and it was the, the bride who's getting her eye like, Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. The makeup woman. And I'm, I'm crouched down and I'm right there. I'm like on her lap, <laughs> practically like in it with them. Um, and you've got the, the friends painting her nails and the, the makeup artist is like lifting the eye and, um, cat's such a good sport that she just was like, do, do whatever I trust you. Um, we have that trusted the clients that that was really close and a weird angle 
And then the other one with the 25 was the pool one. Mm-hmm. Really far. It looked like a, 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 a CD cover. Yeah, I think it looked like a like a, another painting um, yeah. type of type of photo. And I took that. I actually had something in mind from Doc Day. So I did learn something at Doc Day. And it was from the York Place talk. And they were on about putting people in these like pockets. Mm-hmm. Um, giving them their own little individual like pockets of space. And I was like, oh, I'm going to try. Everyone was stood around and doing stuff. I was like, I'm going to try some some different things. And I was trying to put people into pockets, um, but I couldn't quite do it. And then I had the wider lens on and I was like, oh, this is really cool with the the pool as well. And then we have people in all the little pockets around the pool. Mm. So... Yeah, it's right. It's another good reason to come to these photography conferences because even if you just have like one bit of information that crops up and forces you to like try something different, you know. I totally, one of my sort of, I guess, pet hates is at weddings when it's outside and you get like seven or eight groups of like three people mm-hmm. with big gaps between them and stuff like that yeah if, without that sort of mindset you kind of look at that and go that's really difficult to kind yeah. of photograph because everyone's so scattered and stuff but yeah kind of working wide and sort of creating pockets and can make it really interesting like a big um where's wally where you've all these little it's really difficult because everyone has to be doing something it's not good mm. put them all in like these little individual pockets that like there has to be stories in those pockets as well but at the same time, that's what makes it a challenging image to try and capture. So there's like there's a joy in that challenge, you know. Yeah, yeah. So do you do you um, do you shoot with the, the I guess the kind of the standard, usually the standard combo of a, a thirty five eighty five? Yeah. Or do you sort of mix things up? Um, so I tend to have my tw- I, I, I thought I was thirty five eighty five, but I tend to have my twenty five and my thirty five on quite a lot because I want to get close and then I'll put my 85 on um obviously at certain points I always feel like prep's really claustrophobic so I tend to not have my 85 on in there Uh, if I'm in a church and I'm really far away or when the bride's coming in up the aisle um speeches and uh yeah, I don't know. I think again, when I did one with Patrick, he was like, you're a lens swapping machine because you have it in your head. Like you just go into autopilot where you know what you want an image to look like. And then if you're shooting mm-hmm. primes, you know which one you need to, you need, you know which one you need to use to get that, you know? Yeah. Um, it's not a very good answer, but it's like instinct at this point. Yeah. yeah. And you definitely, you, you prefer primes over a zoom. Yeah, because... Like using my feet, I'm <laughs> running around everywhere at a wedding day. Um, I like, I like the challenge of um, you have you have this focal length and it's going to look that way. So in order to change it, it's like you, you're all the one that has to adjust your position. Mm-hmm. Like that you become quite like in tune with what what the camera's capable of. Um, yeah. rather than zooming like in and out all the time. Yeah, I I got the um 
last year, the Tamron 35 to 150. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, this would be quite a nice lens to kind of have and back up and stuff like that. And I used it at one wedding and it, it was a great lens, but I found I wasn't photographing with purpose. Yeah. So like my focal lengths were all over the shop. They just, the images just, it just didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Um, compared to like shooting primes, like you say, you just, you just know what that 35 will look like. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you need to get closer, you've got to be closer. Yeah. And by getting closer, you'll still keep that 35 look. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you stood back and you zoomed to 150, it would just completely change it. Mm-hmm. You can kind of tell what like an image is going to look like before. Like you can look at and you can see a spot and you know what it's going to look like when you get there. You know, it, it, take, it almost takes out a part of like the guessing Mm-hmm. So you can think more about the compositions and what's happening around you. So still on the subject of weddings, mm-hmm. um, and because it's a, a laid back kind of real talk kind of thing, what's been your most embarrassing moment at a wedding? Um, Have you had one? Probably had many. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quite good at laughing them off and um I would say I don't find it that embarrassing, but it I potentially a embarrassing moment. Um venues that don't have locks on the bathroom doors in a lot of these like older um older places in bridal prep especially, you know, and it's very complicated to get like a jumpsuit off if you're wearing a jumpsuit so you basically have to be sat on the toilet like naked and um, to go for a wee and the, I don't think I had one on for this one luckily but one of the bridesmaids walked in me on the toilet so that was nice um, she did later ask me to shoot a wedding but I was booked after I, <laughs> I don't think she was that bothered and I shot her dad's wedding last year so I don't think it went down terribly, but, you know, kind of embarrassing. Someone walks in on the toilet on you. Um, what else? I've been asked out a couple of times at weddings, and I know that's not, like, embarrassing, but it's, like, awkward after, mm-hmm. after because you say no, and then you still have, like, work to do. So you're a bit like, well, now this is, like, awkward. <laughs> so British and... <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no, I'm, I don't know. I haven't had anything too embarrassingly traumatic happen, I don't think. Have you had any sort of um, sort of classic sort of, I guess, sort of technical mishaps where you've like, you know, I mean, I, I shot a wedding and was halfway through the day, um, middle of the church wedding and sort of suddenly dawned on me. I hadn't formatted my cards from the previous wedding and I was running out of space quickly and, yeah. you know, sort of li- little kind of like, oh, you know, moments of you sort of had anything like that where it's just like, Oh, why have you done that? Probably. But I don't, sorry, you've, I've just remembered something that did embarrassing that did happen. I once asked, this was on the break. Um, I was speaking to someone outside and I asked him how he knew the bride. <laughs> and he was like, I'm the dad. <laughs> <laughs> And he was like, you've just taken my picture. 
picture in the film, I was like, oh yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm like, proper spaced out. Um, we, we laughed about it, but you know when you die inside? Yeah. Earlier wedding, I was like, oh my God, I'll never make it. Well, um, technical issue. Uh, nothing, yeah, I did have a, I did have a camera die at a wedding because it was absolutely tipping it down and we'd gone on the... We'd gone out onto the J for a couple shoot um, and they wanted to go. They were like, we're going to go out in the rain. They were well up for it. They were mad the pair of them in a good way. And then my camera just like died halfway through it. Um, it's got rainwater in somewhere. Um, so I did the rest of the day on like one camera, which was painful, but, you know, mm-hmm. fine, made it work. Didn't stop me, but it was a technical it was a technical difficulty having a camera die halfway through the day. Yeah, yeah. No, well, well done for uh, not absolutely panicking and. Um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't cry, so that was fine. <laughs> but I wanted no. to. <laughs> I, I don't know, how, like, if you've seen like these photographers that have like fallen into the fountain or something when they've been like walking backwards and stuff, and like their no. like their whole entire kit gets. I don't know how you can recover from that without sort of just going and just buying a whole new sort of set of kit there and then no you just have to be like act act of god like what can i do yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) over the years so with your your i guess your wedding work and um how you've kind of gone about marketing and sort of gathering inquiries and stuff do you sort of are you sort of relying now on sort of Instagram and, and websites and sort of uh, word of mouth, or do you still sort of dabble in, in the, the wedding fairs or have you just knocked them on the head now? So I've only done one wedding fair um, and didn't get any bookings from it. <laughs> <laughs> so either I'm a quite in person and nobody liked me or um, I think it was more to do with like the, the like a more local um mindset and just not a good fit for that like yeah wedding market i think uh i overheard someone say oh she looks expensive in the distance <laughs> it's been come over so it's fine <laughs> but after that i was like oh i'm just not gonna um bother with them again i don't think i've done get a lot of word of mouth, a lot of like past guests from weddings, um, siblings, cousins, friends, um, a lot of people who were like, oh, we were just going to get like a friend, but then we saw you at such and such's wedding and we really liked you. Um, I have one of my like early weddings and their, that referral chain is, is like still happening. <laughs> like next year yeah. I've got another one that is really off the back of that one. Um, I do I do Google Ads. Um, mm-hmm. I just always had them on. When I first made my website, I was like, how the hell is anyone going to find me? I need to get traffic to my website. And then over the years, the amount that goes in has changed and the locations that I was advertising to have changed. Um, I used to target a lot of people coming. The idea was to get people who were coming to the lakes to get married rather than people who already live in the lakes because people who are coming to the lakes treat it as a destination location. Um, Mm -hmm. So sort of targeting southerners coming up north who have like higher budgets. 
<laughs> more likely to 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 book or val or value that type of photography. Um, Instagram. I didn't actually think I got that many referrals from Instagram, but when you look at my little sheet, it's like our social media. So there we go. Yeah, it's good. And then referrals from other photographers. I get quite a few um, people recommend me if they're not free and vice versa. And I found that that slowly over time, you just find people who shoot like you and um, it only really works if they're booking. Uh, you could send photography people like referrals on to people, but they they have to sort of be in line with you if mm -hmm. you book them. Yeah. And again, it's it's another plus point of being in such a nice community yeah, where definitely. other photographers will will pass work your way rather than sort mm -hmm. of. Yeah, trying to keep it all for themselves. We definitely got um, best bookings from other photographers. In fact, both those destination weddings came from other photographers. Oh, really? Very lucky. Um, but I put yeah. out to the world. I was like, oh, I think I'd send them some stuff and they sent me some other stuff. And I was just chatting to them like if, like you would have, like, because they're friends. I was mm -hmm. like, I just, you know, haven't done one yet. I'd love to do a destination. And, um, two people at two separate times, they were like, right, we're going to get, we're going to get you one. It's right, like other people want you to do well. So yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah. Thank you, Steve Walker and uh, and, and Paul. <laughs> 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 um so if you weren't doing weddings, what 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 do you, would you like to be doing sort of career wise? Would you still be in the world of photography or would you want to try something different? Are we talking like money? No, no, no option. Like, let's do let's do sensible and money. No option. So sensibly, I'd probably just be back to doing graphic design. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to do it, but just because I'd be like, I don't know what else to do. That's going to make me money. Like I was making clay earrings in lockdown, and I was like, let's face it, like an Etsy shop is not going to pay the thing like <laughs> was like for, for the for the level and quality that I was doing. But um, I don't know. I think it would be something, it would have to be something creative. I just like making things. I just like mm -hmm. coming up with new ideas. Um, I'd maybe have had like two more failed businesses somehow. Uh, there's not really an option. Like I, I, love, I love what I do now, so I can't think of anything else that I would prefer mm -hmm. to do other than this. And do you do much photography outside of uh, weddings? Only when we go away somewhere. And I like to document that, like mm -hmm. the trip. Um, like I've made a few books at home, um, like wedding albums, essentially, just of holidays and, and things like that. And I love putting together all the little, like, textures and details and yeah I don't know so I, I do do photography but not I don't really do like photography for work purpose outside of this and last year or last two years I just haven't had time yeah like my, one of my things that I want to do this year is more photography for me more like mm -hmm. experimental stuff um yeah maybe like a like a 
of a personal project. Like I'd love to do like something that would be in a, like an exhibition or um, like more, more photography for art than mm-hmm. for, for purpose. But yeah. More sort of abstract work. Maybe. I don't know. I feel like it just in order to maintain my interest, I can't just keep shooting like just weddings and I need to do something. I even need to go back to like shooting other weddings or I need to get back into drawing or something. I need mm-hmm. to have some other creative outlet. Yeah, so I don't, yeah, find more great. What, how, how do you kind of, what's your, 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 what do you do on your downtime? What's your kind of uh, Chelsea me time when you're not working and, and doing um, social media and stuff? When I'm on my downtime, I'm in the bath. <laughs> 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 my gold bath. Oh yes, of course you've got your 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 gold bathroom and yeah. I like it. I mean, to be honest, I used to do a lot of like in lockdown. I was doing a lot of hiking um, with my friend Yvette, who's an illustrator, and I just haven't had time to do a lot of that um, for the past two years. I feel like I've forgotten all my hobbies. To be honest with you, <laughs> I do um, a. I watch a lot of films, but then I watch the films while I'm working as well. So it's probably not like mm-hmm. the best like, example of a hobby. And so when I'm not working at the minute, it is honestly, I just like to zone out and just like, just sit and like scroll and do nothing. Like for me, yeah. my downtime, just doing nothing um, and zoning. A bit of video game. So I used to play a lot of video games when I was a kid and I haven't, I don't like have as much time now. We've just started getting like back into it. Um, so yeah, so today before I was speaking to you, we were playing on um, Unraveled, which is like, mm-hmm. it's, like this little string man. And, and that's like a, pl- a creative problem platforming game, um, which is kind of like the stuff that I like. So like when I was little, I used to love playing The Legend of Zelda because it's all creative problem, it's problem solving. Um, yeah fantasy stuff so yeah maybe get back into a little bit of video gaming in my downtime this year mm. hopefully yeah o- ocarina of time is probably one of my all-time favorites my just... favorite game it's just all the all the feelings like yeah i think um we used to spend a lot of time on that and pokemon <laughs> game boy <Con. laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, I've just I've literally just over the last week dusted off the the PlayStation after about a year of not playing. Mm-hmm. Um to because everyone's been going on about the the Last of Us TV show that's yeah. come out and I like I got maybe 3 or 4 hours into the game mm-hmm. when it first came out and then never played it again. Exactly. So I was like I'm going to I'm going to sit down. I'm going to, like, I had a look last night, and, like, my, my last save game was 2015. Wow. So it's like, yeah. okay, right. Have so I just started of, again. Had all these hobbies, and then, like, everything just, you run out of time for things. I find it really difficult. The kind of games that I like are, this, they are story games as well. They're, they, you can't just put them down and pick them up. You need to remember like what was happening and where you were in the game, and then almost like if you take a few months away from it, you're like, oh, I kind of feel like I need to restart it now because I can't remember what was happening. But like, the Last of Us is quite story based, as Huge, well, yeah. isn't it? I think I got 
partway through that and then I ended up stuck hanging upside down somewhere with like I've got time for this right now and put it away somewhere to be forgotten. Yeah, Yeah, it's interesting that um, that that 2015 save point kind of has a has a strong connection with about the same time that I went self-employed. So obviously, like the moment you go self-employed, it's like I've just got time for gaming now. I think you never really think of your downtime is downtime like even when I'm sat scrolling or we're watching a film like the back of my mind is thinking about something like something related an idea that I could be doing like a a thing that I could start like it feels wrong doesn't it not using every moment to Mm -hmm. work on on the business and stuff um so if you've got like so um I know on Instagram, um, on your stories and stuff, you share a lot of sort of music and music taste, and you've obviously hinted towards sort of a, a previous life in the sort of the emo scene world and um, stuff. Have you got like uh, like a, a hype soundtrack that you might listen to before a wedding or um, does it just kind of just whatever sort of takes your fancy? So my dry is usually, usually like a, at least an hour and a half or two hours up to the lakes if I'm going from Liverpool. And I'll just put my own repeat on so I don't have to think about it. And that's just whatever I've been listening to at home, like recently. And I tend to listen to a lot of music in the morning. And then when we did the, the Spotify, like, wrapped at the end of the year, it said my morning music is, like, like angst, anger, like get up and go. Like that's when I want to <laughs> So I'm in the shower and I've got like my um my angry music. Well <laughs> yeah, um hormonal music as Lou likes to refer to it because he's <laughs> really interested in that whole um, so a lot of my stuff on the way to weddings is is of that ilk. I do um I remember at the the Christmas party when Slipknot came on that seemed to sort of trigger a bit of a yeah (laughs) like that kind of thing anything that you would have listened to in the in the rock club i used to really like fries um quite a lot used to Mm -hmm. like a lot of um covid and cambria Mm -hmm. and i used to like a lot about the drive-in and um yeah mine's gone blank again now but you get the you get the gist mars volta yeah i used to like the mars volta I used to like quite a bit of like prog rock um mm-hmm. like type stuff um but yeah i'm not i'm not like set in that it's like the only thing that i like but definitely at the time i think it's that angst it's that teen angst isn't it yeah no one understands me but no. <laughs> god the world the world just was so difficult when you were a teenager wasn't it with you know no bills or anything to pay oh, it was just the worst awful. <laughs> um so something that i really wanted to sort of chat to you about and you obviously um we sort of before we started talking uh, made sure you were you were happy to sort of chat about this um but on social media sort of over the last sort of i think about maybe six months mm-hmm. um you've been very open about recently being diagnosed with ADHD and dyslexia, mm-hmm. which I, I think is very commendable with, you know, how open you've been about it. Um, was finding, was, was sort of receiving that sort of um, 
those results and stuff was was that a bit of a light bulb moment for you in terms of kind of like oh that makes sense mm-hmm. like so the um so the ADHD stuff is still like pending but essentially what it what it was is I've always I've always felt like there's just some things like I'm so good at some things and I know everyone feels like this but I was like there's some stuff that like with my level of what I feel like my level of capabilities are that should be so much easier. And I was like, why, why are these things continuously difficult? Like why, why should that, why should I be able to do this really complicated thing? And then the same simple tasks repeatedly trip me up. Mm-hmm. Or, um, yeah. So I'd always, I've always struggled with my, I've always struggled with writing um i grammar and spelling and stuff uh and like organization um timekeeping uh i'm really good at doing them for my weddings but just g- generally they've been like difficult points and i think i used to get frustrated because reading my school reports they're all they're all pretty good they're all really good but it's like just wish Chelsea would pay more attention to her spelling or I just wish Chelsea would try harder with this or do that. It's always the same things. And I was like, I'm trying, like I'm trying my absolute hardest, like, but I'm still not getting it. Um, so when I, um, when I went to uni, I was like, right, I'm going to get tested for dyslexia because my, my little sister had not long been tested um, and that had come up positive like my young my youngest sister um and we'd been doing the art course so it had been a bit I mean I left GCSEs and I went to art college and I did two years of art from like 16 to 18 and then I went on to the graphic design degree which was a lot of like um yeah a lot of visuals again and then we got to the dissertation part and I was just like shit <laughs> like I can't um I can no longer hide you know you, you sort of go down these routes that that don't involve your weaknesses um and I think just having to do the dissertation I just like had a bit of a meltdown over it and I definitely like left it to the last minute and procrastinated and then the whole thing was like a mess and the spelling was bad and I got some help like people like proofread it for me but the whole thing was just like awful and then I went to get tested for dyslexia after that and they said that because it was the end of the uni course it was like my third year um they wouldn't test me because they don't get funding Mm -hmm. so I was like oh pent up frustration and like upset from my um dissertation and then I'd gone for help and they were like we think you are but we can't officially do it and then I just went off into the work world and I was like it'll be fine I'll like I'll make it through like I'm you know I'm smart I'll, I'll be fine and I was fine but there was definitely bits when I was doing some graphic design bits um like little mistakes, like little errors, things that I've just not seen or um, paragraphs that you're laying out for, for text that I've like not read properly or like even email. Um, people would email you briefs and you read the brief and you're like, you've, you've missed like a key bit of information. Um, mm-hmm. 
So it's just like a lifetime of like frustration over little things. And then when, so after uni, um, it was very difficult to get tested in Carlisle. Um, the NHS don't fund it. So I was like, oh, well, I guess I'll just never know and it'll be fine. Um, and then when I moved to Liverpool, I remembered and I was like, oh, there'll be somewhere in Liverpool that does testing. I'll just pay for it. Like I'm an adult now. I'm like, I've got some extra disposable income. I'll just pay because if you want to know, like you want to know about yourself. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So finally, after two and a half years living in Liverpool, <laughs> I got around to getting this um, test and it came back as like dyslexic. So that was like reaffirming because it did cost me like 600 pounds just to know, just pleasure of knowing. Um, wow. It was quite involved. It was like a three hour test um, with a psychologist. And because of that like level of involvement and the, the, the depth of going into like, like, child like what it was like when you were growing up and like how your day-to-day is and stuff and at the end of it she was like oh I actually think you also have um ADHD and I was a bit like that (laughs) but I was like no I don't think so um there was one specific test she did that looked like a crossword so she had all these letters that were laid out in rows and I had to read across the letters and say them all in order. And she said, I like, I could do it, but you, I was sacrificing, um, speed for accuracy. So my accuracy was high, but my like speed of doing it was quite low. Right. Um, and I said, Oh, I was also getting distracted because I was looking for like, because it looked like a crossword to me. So I was like looking for letters and I was like doing this. And I, I just mentioned it as like a flippant comment because I was getting stressed out and I was quite nervous in this like test. And then she, she was like, Oh, actually that's kind of like, I'm kind of glad you said that because that's a symptom of ADHD. Like your mind is bored doing the, the mundane tasks. So it's like actively searching for something else that it deems mm-hmm. more challenging and more interesting to do. Like it is looking to be distracted. And I was like, all right. Okay. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Loads of other little things that she uh, picked up on. So, so yeah, I, um, so I, I sat with that and did some more research and I think the problems that I thought were dyslexia is now a very strong uh, indication that it's actually ADHD. Um, so there's like two types as well. There's, uh, it's what used to be called ADD and then there's like classic ADHD, which is like attention hyperactivity And then the ADD is like attention deficit disorder. And you can either have like um, attention deficit or the hyperactive, or you can be like combined type. Um, And she was very specifically about like, it's the the attention deficit, not not the hyperactivity. And it's commonly, it's more common in women and it's more commonly not diagnosed because you're not that naughty kid. You're not that naughty kid. You're not like um, causing a fuss and... uh, it's quite like a quiet, quite like a quiet, um, yeah, thing to have as opposed to the other one. And has obviously sort of um, going through this process and uh, finding this out, has this like, obviously uh, I can imagine it's had a positive impact with 
you sort of going, ah, that makes sense. Um, Has it also helped you change how you approach not just uh, your like the wedding photography on the day, but the kind of the the managing of the wedding business? Um, Kind of like I've been looking for. I'm always looking for ways to manage myself (laughs) effectively. I have like lots of visual lists and I've recently been trying like a, like a, like a scheduling thing that someone gave me. I, I allow for quite long, um, delivery deadlines because I can't sit and focus on, on the same thing for too long. Um, I think it's why I seem like I'm good at the social media because I, like, I just want to be distracted. Like for me, mm-hmm. like it's a allowable distraction. Effectively, it's work, but it's yeah. It, like so, it's not a bad thing that I'm on there because it's work. But like, there's that little bit of me that's like, oh, I'll just go do that for ten minutes, and um, ten minutes becomes an hour, and whatever. But I, yeah. I think the wedding photography for the attention deficit is actually kind of good because where it counts is on the on the day. Um, and I show up and I'm, my mind's bouncing about and I'm uh, like thriving because it's, it wants to be distracted um, and I'm getting constantly distracted and I'm getting like stimulated. Um, my, my mind's got like challenging things to solve. And then all of the stuff that I'm not so good at is kind of like the back of the tree, <laughs> like as we were saying. So um, yeah. the the admin side and I use um I use Grammarly a lot to write my emails it, it does take me a, a long time to write my emails like back and forth and I find it quite stressful and like organizing travel I find like really really stressful I get like mm-hmm. uh, like option paralysis and um, there's too much information to process and then I'm just like have a meltdown and end up getting Louis to book it for me (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I I don't know I haven't like officially been diagnosed yet I would be open to trying like medication potentially but I've heard from one of my past brides actually that she felt like it dimmed it dimmed her personality um and of course like I I wouldn't like that for myself um I did. I, I do think it's likely, though. My my youngest sister has separate to me. Um, it's a bit of like a complicated one to explain, but we're we're estranged because of uh, various reasons. But she um, she's recently come back, sort of into our lives, and um, it turns out she has ADHD. <laughs> now what we thought was personality disorder and it's like combined type so I was telling my parents about I've done this dyslexia test and I think that she said this and my parents were like oh it's kind of weird because like the you know within the next two weeks literally like that's come from her and and we were like well there's obviously some sort of correlation here isn't there Mm -hmm. um yeah but like I say I think I think being so open about it on Instagram and, and things like that is amazing. Um, and sort of sharing your experiences and things like that. Mm-hmm. Have you had anyone sort of reach out to you 
after you've sort of uh, sort of talked about it to sort of say, oh, you know, um, I've, you know, I, I know where you're coming from. I, yeah. you know, I'm the same. Definitely. Like there was loads of people, like even at, um, even at the Nine Dots conference, there were loads of people who were like, oh, I've got ADHD or I've got this or um, I had ex-brides who, like I said, get in touch and they were talking me through their um assessment process and saying that they really loved that I'd like said about it because actually they've they've had it and been diagnosed and they kind of like feel a bit weird still talking about it um and uh, yeah other people that I've known like in a a past life (laughs) when I lived in Carlisle who said they have it and all these all these people that I didn't know have like felt like they could talk to me about Mm -hmm. it as well um yeah i guess i don't know if it's i don't know whether i'm just too like open (laughs) and happy to talk about it or whether i feel like it's okay because i'm already doing okay um so i don't feel like it's like something that people would look at me for and think oh well actually we're not gonna use chelsea because you know she's a bit like you can see already that i'm like managing myself successfully or managing a successful business like it's not I don't feel like it's going to put anyone off whereas you might have some people who feel like they're already um feel like they're climbing uphill and that they would be putting a boulder in their own way um potentially I don't know it being so open about it is a very brave thing to do in a lot of ways, but it also goes a long way to helping normalize yeah. a lot of these things, which is why then people can kind of will then feel they can then talk about it. And it just it just becomes just just a normal subject. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's so hard to like talk about. Some people are so comfortable and that's great. And some people are uncomfortable. Like I have some other mental health issues that I've had in the past that I'm not comfortable talking about yet because, you know, it just depends where you are on your journey with things. So yeah, it's always great to see other people talking about, about like their thing, if they're open about it, Mm -hmm. but definitely like if, if anyone has it, that's like listening and they're not comfortable talking about it, like that's fine too. You don't feel like you're not as good as someone else because they're in a place where they feel like that's something they're happy to share with the world. Like, So we are going to have to wrap up because we are, this is, this has been, like, I, I could just sit and chat for ages, but we've, we're, we're pushing sort of a, an hour and 40. So um, we'll, we'll probably have to wrap this up, but it has been great. And um, I am, I am super looking forward to just um, hanging out and chatting with you more on uh, doc day yeah. um, in a couple of weeks and everything. Um, just before we finish, what, what, what's in store for you for 2023? I know you've sort of, you've hinted as a, yeah. a, a new workshop sort of thing that's bubbling away. What, what have you got planned? So I've taken on less weddings this year so that I can focus on like more on the weddings that um, I'm doing. And I also want to allow some space and make space to, to, to work more into like workshops and mentoring and stuff i've recently um teamed up with another photographer called louise griffin she's a very different type of photographer to me um like wonderfully established 
in a completely different way. Um, and we are, we're going to be, we're teamed up, we're called the Elate, and then mm-hmm. we are going to be running workshops. I think they're probably going to be on next year, but we've dropped a little bit, we've put ourselves out there so we can be held accountable. The first thing we are going to be doing is a styled shoot, and that is in Liverpool um, on March. The- <laughs> I've left Louise in charge of <laughs> it. Right up. If you go on the Elate Instagram, um, you'll be able to find it on there. But we're doing a style shoot in Liverpool at uh, the Bondart Church and St. George's Hall, and it's in March. And I think um, we're going to be doing a mixture of like, yeah, workshops, um, occasional style shoots. And then you'll also be able to receive like mentoring even with myself or Louise. And the idea behind the workshops is that that dual personality, that different types of photographers, you know, I'll, I'll bring the documentary knowledge and Louise is perhaps more posed, more editorial, a lot more romantic uh, person than I am. And I think there's a lot of photographers that it's, it's, will benefit them to sort of have a little bit of both. Like even if they go because they want to see Louise, they'll learn something from me, hopefully that they can funnel into their work. And if they're coming to see um, me in the documentary, they might get a little bit from, from her. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's also like, I don't think I might love documentary work, but it's not the only way. And I really think it's nice to see people like not, you have like these two, you know, like when you walk into the cafe on Mean Girls and there's all those little camps of people and it's like, that's the documentary photographers over there. And there's your... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's nice to have a collaboration that's not two of the same coming in and, and caught in like a little, um, like, like a loop, like a little loop of each other, you know, got two different mindsets and it's nice to see that team together. I don't know if I ramble there. I hope that made sense to someone. Like, yeah, yeah, no, that sounds great. So you've got your start shoot in March, mm-hmm. uh, and then you're going to be doing a workshop hopefully next I think year. It'll be next year, probably about the same time in March, and it'll be in Liverpool. Um, yeah, and there'll be like limited spaces, but I'm really excited about that. I actually need to write the content. That's why it's next year. Oh, right. Give, give yourself yeah. plenty of time. time. We're like moving it in. Um, so if anyone is interested, uh, where can they find out more about the workshop and more about your photography? So they can find out about the Elate from, at the minute we just have an Instagram page. We do have a website being made um, and that is at the, at the Elate workshop. Um, and they can find me on Instagram at Chelsea Canal Photography. Um and that's probably, they'll probably be sick of me after that. That's probably enough for them to keep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will, I will drop um, Instagram handles and web links and things like that into the show description um, for anyone that kind of wants to find it. Um, and again, if you're, if you're listening to this, do check out the video version of the podcast because I'll be sharing some of um, Chelsea's amazing images and and other bits and pieces. So um, you, you know, you, got your nervous ticks. <laughs> <laughs> no, on, honestly, it's been it's been such a pleasure, Chelsea. I've really really enjoyed this, and I've really appreciated the the time because it, it's it's been um, yeah a good yeah. Well, nearly two hours of your time. So I really yeah. appreciate you giving that up to sort of chat and stuff like that and uh, yeah looking forward to catching up with you at doc day and um yeah good luck for 
But everything you've got planned for 2023. Yeah. Um, I've got my own wedding planned as well. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. Yes, because you're uh, – <laughs> is, it, is it this year you're getting married? Yeah, this year. Um, I think we're going to go for October. Okay. And have you have you picked a photographer? Yeah. Oh, do, are we allowed to know or is that kind of um, on the down low until the post-wedding? I don't know, actually. Uh I mean, it was only ever going to be um, the Matias for me, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say That's it. Yeah, I love for Holly and Patrick is, is true and strong. And what, I mean, what, what, a, what a duo yeah. to have on your wedding day. Absolutely. Amazing. Well, look, thank you again. Um, I hope you have a, enjoy the rest of your day with whatever you've got planned. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm going to sit down for about 30 minutes and not do anything Same. And, and just and just process mm-hmm. um but uh, yeah thank you so much again and um I'll, uh, I'll see you soon yeah see you later episode three of to have and download i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did chatting with chelsea honestly could have chatted to her for another couple of hours but i uh, have to uh, put a limit on the show somewhere but really really appreciate her giving her time and being so open about her approach and um, her style of photography um thanks for all those people as well that have messaged me about the show it really means a lot that people are listening and they're enjoying it um so as long as people are still listening i'll keep uh, recording them but until the next episode my name's alex thanks for listening Bye.